0: Hello and welcome to the Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast in Fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. Our co-host today, Dave Anderson, and our producer, William Jeffries. And today, we'll be talking about what it takes to be and become a manager. Do you have what it takes? Do you have what it takes? We'll find out in just a second. (laughs) But before we begin, we have a special guest today. We have Kyle Rush, who is the VP of Engineering at Casper. How's it going, Kyle? Great. How are you? I'm doing all right. Getting ready to talk about this topic, this whole becoming a manager. Could you shed some light on some of your responsibilities at Casper?
1: Yeah, sure. So in my role as VP of engineering, I manage a team of about 50 people. It's spread across IT, security, and engineering. There's another component to uh, tech, the product team uh, that's led by the VP of product. So I work really closely with the product team. And you know we write a lot of software, uh, manage a lot of devices. At Casper, the software that we write ranges from the public website that people see most of our businesses, e-commerce, the mm-hmm. order management system where we receive orders and they get placed, um, all the way to... Getting an order to your door, which is surprisingly complicated.
2: Oh, yeah. Traveling salesman, all that logistics. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just
1: getting a package to somebody's door is a lot harder than I ever thought. (laughs) And then there's, you know, we have retail operations. So we um, built our own POS. Um, We have an international operation out in Berlin. So, you know, it all culminates in a, a lot
2: of software. Yeah. Love it. And I guess you were not always a manager. You at some point you you did <laughs> write.
1: Code. Yeah, I wrote code solidly for probably six or seven years before yeah. becoming a manager. There's a transition period, of course, where you're like kind of doing both. You don't yeah. really know what you're doing, but right. Vim yeah. Remax. <laughs> uh, well, back in my day, I wasn't using either. I was, what was I using? Oh, I, got a, I started on Notepad++. Ooh, oh, classic. Java. Classic. Which is the, good stuff. the best. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I love it. And then, and then I switched to a Mac for a while. So I was using, uh, I had like a port somehow of running Notepad++ on the Mac. Oh yeah. Because I wouldn't let it go for a while. <laughs> and then I switched to some hipster thing, you know, at the time. I don't remember what it right. was.
2: Right. Yeah. Flavor of the week. Yeah. But now I, I'm but now I'm a there.
1: Vim, you know, Vim person.
2: Yeah, man. I I had a flashback when you said no Pet Plus Plus. So I was like, oh, college. It's so <laughs> good. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. It's good stuff. And I guess like Mike and William, you guys both became managers recently as well. So this this is
3: Yeah, a A couple of years ago, I started managing people. I'm uh, definitely not as long as the VP over here. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) But it's still a thing. It's still a thing. It's still a thing. Although, you know, I'm not really purely a manager. I, I still code every day. You know, I would say like my primary responsibilities are delivering functionality even yeah. though management is eating up more and more of my life <laughs> as it goes and i'm i'm not a
2: manager so i'm curious like what the paths are to be a manager right now my path to being a team lead is having the current team lead go on vacation <laughs> <Yeah.
3: laughs> this is <laughs> the way to do this
1: is <laughs> the way <to> do it
2: <laughs> so i'm going to all the meetings and i I've written ten lines of code over the past two days. There you go. So I'm I'm feeling shades of this. So yeah, I mean, we could start off like talking about like what what are some of the paths that uh, one can take to be, become a manager.
1: Yeah. So I'm sure there's like infinity paths to become a manager. <laughs>
2: it's like logistics. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the way that I talk about it with my team is there's a lot of like sort of basic skills as a manager that you need to use, and so I always try to encourage people to develop those and start thinking about it that way. And these are like really kind of basic things that we don't think of as engineers. I think when you're an engineer and you walk into the office, you think my job is to write code, but... You know, in reality, that's like such a small, I mean, not like micro, but like it's a small part of the overall picture. There's like communication, there's um, feedback, there's collaboration. Like, how do you collaborate with people? Right. A lot of those things get forgotten because we all just like love to dig into the code. And those are skills that people, you know, need to really have perfected by the time they become a manager.
2: For some reason, it doesn't feel like, you know, becoming a manager it feels like it would be like a binary thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, now you're mr manager (laughs) you have the responsibility now and you didn't yesterday or what have you but i I guess like when you put it like that like there can be kind of a gradient
1: Mm -hmm. the phrase that or the analogy that i always use when i'm talking about it is i never want to throw anybody into a cold pool when there's like shock right you just like imagine if you like jump into a pool of cold water you just like can't breathe for a second and you're like mm-hmm. takes you disorient you and if you have not been coached and you have not practiced like Communication and leadership and uh, collaboration, you know, all of those important, you know, sort of qualities that are not writing code. It can feel like you're jumping into cold water and it can be a bit of a shock. But if you, you know, practice those things and you get feedback and you're genuinely interested on improving those things, then it's more like, you know, walking slowly into a pool, you know, with the stairs (laughs) rather than doing a
2: cannonball (laughs) in the deep end. (laughs) Right <laughs> to the cold, cold waters of management, <laughs> and they can be cold. Full <laughs> yeah. of sharks. Yeah. Oh, shoot. oh man, is this what I'm in for next week? Yeah. Sharks.
1: I don't want it to okay. sound scary. Management can be fun. <laughs> it can also be scary. So,
3: so, people like cold water. Mm, that's <laughs> true. It
2: is. a trying to wake you up. Cold yeah. showers are are big. A lot yeah. of times, the water
3: actually feels pretty warm once you're in it.
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I think you mentioned two things. I. I thought was interesting. There, you were trying like practicing skills, like intentionally practicing skills, and also like getting feedback and having a coach. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about like. You know, those two things.
1: Yeah, for sure. Feedback, I think sometimes we forget that it's like a two way street, right? Like you can give and receive. And it's, in my experience, nearly impossible to be a good manager if you can't give and you can't receive, you know, feedback. And so you have to look Mm -hmm. at it from both angles. In my experience, most people are afraid to give feedback more than they are to receive it, especially negative feedback. Um, But
2: that's true. Yeah, it's,
1: it's so important for everybody's professional development that they get you know the negative feedback because they need to know what to improve. Actually, we had we hired a company to come do a. Sort of like a communication, like internal communication training at Casper. And one of the presenters uh, was showing a slide where some HBR researcher or the article ended up in HBR, but they did a survey of thousands of companies on feedback. Uh-huh. And one of the questions was like, do you want to receive negative feedback? And the overwhelming you know, majority of the respondents said yes. And so I think when we have negative feedback for somebody, we don't want to give it because we're afraid they don't want to hear it. But overwhelmingly, everybody wants to hear it. They want to know what it is. And so that's just something you have to do as a manager.
2: That's true. I guess like if you do ask for feedback and you only get like, you know, positive feedback or like lukewarm feedback it's something's if, wrong yeah <laughs> right it feels like no wait i'm my worst critic right here right i can certainly come up with some negative feedback so right. please help yeah me out.
1: <laughs> and nobody's a hundred percent consistent or a hundred percent perfect right so the feedback could never be a hundred percent positive so if if you're only getting
0: positive feedback then something's definitely wrong or oh, you're amazing <laughs> <laughs> nobody can be perfect right. Right. so if you before you become a manager and you have to practice this two way street of feedback is this something that you would just do amongst your development team like to your peers and like just practice that way so that when it comes time where you become a manager you're you have those skills readily available. Yeah, so
1: what I like to do is give people a little bit of training. So there, you know, are certain ways to structure your feedback so that it can resonate with the person. A lot of that is like make it factual, provide, you know, evidence of what the issue was, you know, put a time frame on it. So like you know, if I go to William and I'm just like, um, you make me feel stupid when I'm talking to you, it's like, is that actionable? I don't even know really what that means. <laughs> yeah. But if I came to you and I said, hey, yesterday in that meeting, we were with, you know, Michelle and she said, what do you guys think about barbecue? And I was like, I love it. And you were like, barbecue is disgusting. That didn't make me have a good experience, right? Like, that's actionable and it's specific. And so then you can, you know, finish that up with like, I would have rather you said, I personally don't like barbecue rather than barbecue's disgusting as a like declarative statement. <laughs> right. And in so fact. there's a there's a structure to that. But I think, you know, how I like to prepare people is, you know, in all of my direct reports, what I'll do is I'll say, you know, in my first one-on-one, I'll say, Okay, next week I'm gonna give you negative feedback, I'm gonna give you positive feedback, and we're gonna do that for two weeks. And then we're going to switch. And in two weeks, you're going to give me negative feedback and positive feedback, and you're going to have one piece of each in each one-on-one. And my theory is, if you can give negative feedback to your boss, which is really really hard, Mm -hmm. you can give negative feedback to your peers.
0: Mm -hmm. I agree, because like there is that power dynamic that people may look at and feel somewhat like afraid to give feedback to your boss, right? Like, you know, Bobby could fire me if I say something <laughs> wrong. But like when the avenue is open to kind of practice that cuz it's good for you too and I think when you mention that to your peers then they will also use that as like a practice tool to get better at giving and receiving feedback.
1: And to me it's kind of like a safe zone. I know like when I'm asking a direct report of mine to give me negative feedback, they don't feel like it's a safe zone, but to me, I know that if they like misdeliver the feedback or, you know, they mess it up somehow or they say something they didn't mean, I can get over that because <laughs> I've had a lot of experiences like that. Right. Mm-hmm. My fear is that if they don't practice it in that sort of safe zone, then when they go to deliver it to a peer, you know, it can bomb. But and nobody should be afraid that it's going to bomb. You just have to get over your nerves at some point and deliver the feedback. Right. But,
2: That's part of being on a team is just having trust. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So it sounds like I can't just read a book. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I wish. (laughs) I mean, there's so many books out there of of any topic. Like, I'm sure like, you know, dieting also has a lot of topics (laughs) or a lot of books out there and it feels like, I don't know if I can really uh, trust these things, but there's a lot of like really good thought out there. Like I I picked up a copy of uh, first break all the rules recently at William's suggestion, and it's pretty good, but it yeah, there's a lot of information in there. Uh, So I think that that kind of makes sense that you would, you'd have to practice that totally, you know, practice breaking all the rules or or what have you.
1: You have to like make mistakes. I think like maybe that's another way to put it instead of um, breaking the rules. Sure. I just think that, you know, everything is so contextual and there's really like no checklists. I mean, there's like, you know, at Casper for my managers, I have a performance scorecard, so they know like the broad areas that they need to be focusing on. But like, it's okay to make mistakes. And the nice thing about making a mistake is you know what not to do next time. Sure. Which yeah. if I ever wrote a book, it would be like, my career is a pile of mistakes. Like <laughs> that's, that would be the title of it. And I would just list the millions of mistakes that I've made, you know, in my entire career. Right. Um, But the nice thing is you learn. And so, you know, some people have the advantage of having a mentor that they learn from and maybe you can. Right. From their mistakes. Exactly. <laughs> um, sometimes it works that way. Sometimes you have to learn from your own
2: mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Do you have any books that you've, you've enjoyed reading or uh, on management? Or? On management? Yeah.
1: I don't think so, actually. <laughs> just my own pile of mistakes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. just I don't think I've read a management book, no. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Uh, okay. I read HBR a lot. So they're not books, but they're like articles.
0: I, uh, I guess it's like more, more digestible. Yeah, exactly. Sure. I think one of the books that I've read... When I became a manager, the name of the book is called Team Geek by Brian W. Fitzpatrick and Ben Collins-Susman. to start from the beginning of the thought? Yeah. I uh, just don't remember. Oh. When you became a manager. Yeah. When I became a manager and I almost felt like I was ready to take that responsibility and not at the same time, I read a book called Team Geek by Brian W. Fitzpatrick and Ben Collins-Susman. And this book is very interesting it's because... It uses the example of developers who magically became managers, like their job called for them to be a manager of a particular team when they themselves weren't really like they were just trying to level up to be like they were trying to level up to be more like architectural centric or like just dealing with code. But oftentimes in a place of work, they may ask you to become a manager and that could be really difficult for someone who, who has been coding for as long as they have been coding. And management is fairly new. This book was very interesting and introducing that to individuals who magically became managers and what to do. And so when you say magically, do you
2: mean like their title changed or like this over time, their responsibilities grew and they became more responsible for like mentorship of the team and, you know, kind of managing the direction of things?
0: I think it was the the latter where the title change called the title is changed to become a manager mm-hmm. like you can be a dev lead at a particular team and then the next step is okay well if you're going to you know be promoted you're going to become a manager and like some of the things like oftentimes one of the things that i hear a lot of managers speak about is the fact that they don't write a lot of code and they feel bad about that because you know you come from a A job or responsibility where your job is to deliver features and to write code and stuff like that. But as a manager, you may be in more meetings and, you know, doing more personal things. So when you look at your week and see that you only have four commits in the past five days, People tend to feel bad, but that's not your work anymore. You have to ensure that your team is improving and moving forward, and making sure you're delivering feedback to individuals and stuff like that. So they go over a lot of those different concepts of what it takes to be a manager and what are some of the changes that will happen because you now become a manager.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I guess like that kind of uh, feeling, like when you, especially when you're in stand up and you're like with a bunch of people who are like, "Oh yeah, I crushed this feature. I did that." <laughs> it's like, oh well. I was in meetings all day that didn't plan for that to happen, but it happened. (laughs) I think it's an important psychological
1: change to make, like for you personally, because when you go from, um, I mean, I'm like fully transitioned out of this now. So I, you know, I used to love delivering features. Now I'm just like, Hey, I didn't deliver anything this week. And that feels normal (laughs) to me. But when you're a new manager and you're not delivering features, it can kind of feel like there's less value in the work that you're doing. Like, You know i I feel like even in your voice i could tell when you said (laughs) i was in meetings like it was a negative thing or had no value right right and so it's an important transition for managers to make psychologically to see value in that work or else you just you won't be like satisfied with it which is fine you don't you don't have to be you can go back to writing code if you want to be but you have to be able to see the value in the work that you're doing or you're not going to do good at the job
2: right or and and not feel like you have to prove yourself to your colleagues yeah
1: And you have to be excited about other people delivering features, right? Like, that's a big part of your job is to increase the rate at which, you know, and the quality at which people deliver those
2: features. Yeah. So, do you feel like ownership of the features that your team delivers uh, to a degree? I
1: think I'm a little bit too removed to feel ownership of the features, but. What I get a lot of pride out of is where you know, I have like a twinkle in my eye idea. Like when I first came to Casper, we didn't have a content management system. We like any change on the website, an engineer would be involved in. So, oh, yeah, if sure. We were like, oh, <laughs> make this a capital T or like add a period here. Like that would be a ticket in JIRA that oh, somebody man. would solve, which is, you know, just debilitating for um, productivity. Right. Change those legal terms. <laughs> so, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> it literally happened the other day. Yep.
2: Yeah. I've been, I've been there. <laughs> yeah.
1: And so, you know, we're, on the process now to implementing a a CMS and, you know, I cannot claim any credit for the quality of it or but like the idea of that launching and like how much it's going to change our engineers lives. That's where I get a lot of value out of it. Yeah. You know, the actual shipping of the features and how it performs and everything uh, the engineers, you know, should take credit for.
2: Cool.
3: Yeah. What was your personal path to management?
1: Oh, I wanted to bring this up because of the book title, which is something like, you know, you magically became a manager. <laughs> team geek. Yeah. Uh, you, you uh, imagine, team geek, but you magically become yeah. one. That's what it is. Oh, man. <laughs> Looking back on it, I think it was bizarre, but maybe it's not so bizarre. <laughs> so I was just, you know, writing code at an agency, just pumping out websites for a bunch of clients. And I had the opportunity to go work on the Obama campaign. And I like had wanted to do it so bad. And then um, my friend who was at the agency that I was at went to go work for the Obama. On the campaign, and then just straight up asked me, "Hey, do you want to come here? We don't have any developers. Like it's all outsourced right now." Wow. And I was like, "Oh yes, I got to do it." So you know, the leadership at the campaign was like okay, can you be here in two weeks? And I had to relocate from DC to Chicago. And I was like, quit my job in two weeks and then relocate my life. I'm yeah. going to do it. <laughs> so awesome. I went out there and I was the first engineer and nobody was like, Kyle, you're a manager. Mm-hmm. You're going to manage all these engineers. They were basically just like, okay, we need more uh, engineers. And I was like, Ugh. Guess I gotta figure this out. So I just like started posting roles on the website, started doing interviews. I had really never done interviews, you know. At that point, I had participated in a few, but I never structured an interview process. I'd never, you know, used a system to enter feedback. I had no idea how to evaluate candidates, and so. I just, you know, made a ton of mistakes and figured it out eventually. And then when the people came, you know, I was like, I, I don't know who's mad. I guess I'll just be the manager <laughs> without the title. Right. And, you know, then it just ended up like six months later. It was like, okay, now you're officially the manager. Right. So it was, it was very bizarre.
2: And that's like a high, high pressure environment. like very Like you're in the crucible. Yeah, because you're working seven
1: on. days a week, like twelve hour days. I think um, luckily in that situation, people don't go to an opportunity like that unless you're very passionate about, um, you know, the purpose of it. Yeah, and yeah. So in my experience, when you're on a like a political campaign like that, um, your passion for the work um, overshadows any sort of like issues in your job. Like, you know, at a normal company, you'd be like, this is terrible structure and terrible management. (laughs) But there you're just like, God, I just want to win. And let's just write some code. So I think it was a little bit easier in that respect.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I think it's like pretty open for just failing fast and yeah.
1: yeah, just like everybody just wanted to win and write some code <laughs> and get it out there, so it was it was a bit easier, but it was strange, and that I was managing people without the title, and it wasn't clear that I was their manager. <laughs> yeah, <as laughs> and as I as wasn't prepared for it. No training, <laughs> no like nothing.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting how like things kind of formed in that like all, all these bonds, like the the data team from Obama's campaign. I forget the company they formed, but they they formed this great company, and I met met some people who are working for it. It's, it's very, very fascinating.
1: Yeah. It, there's definitely
2: deep bonds there.
1: When, when you go through that kind of experience, it's kind of like a new family. <laughs> uh,
2: okay. Thanks. That That's super interesting. Uh, so I guess the question is now like, should I become a manager? You guys, you have to tell me <laughs>
0: I should become a manager.
2: <laughs> I, I wish someone would tell me. <laughs> I guess
1: someone did. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So they told me without telling me. <laughs> it's a great question. I think you have to really appreciate, I think, and be okay with like not writing code and really picking up a whole different skill set. And that's not necessarily unique to tech, right? Or um, software. I am of the opinion that good management is good management across the board. And like leadership is good leadership across the board. And I think that if you can lead a software project, you can lead it, whether it's written in Ruby or Python, or if it's data engineering versus, or data infrastructure versus, you know, just like a regular web application, I think you can do a good job. And so I think, you know, if you're ready to, first of all not write as much code <laughs> and you're ready to deal with you know like people problems and people opportunities and like hiring and interviewing and building teams if you think you'd get a lot of value out of that that's definitely you know a good sign that you should be a manager and i think if you see yourself as a problem solver not just on the technical side you know if you're a bit of a people person i think that is also a good sign
2: yeah i guess like also having an engineer background like even if you're not working in the same domain or uh, same technology that you have expertise in in the past, like you you have the empathy for the struggles that the people underneath here are going through so yeah. you can identify with that.
1: And I think to be a good manager, you don't necessarily have to be, you know, an expert in whatever the discipline is of the person that you're managing. You know, I personally manage a lot of people that I have never done their job before, but I can, you know, identify what success looks like and what, you know, failure looks like. And I can, you know, try to lead people through a normal sort of scientific process of picking a hypothesis, testing it out, measuring it. Did it work? Did it not? Okay, let's try something else. Like those are the sort of like leadership skills that you sort of just need
3: there. I think that as a manager, you have an incredible responsibility on your shoulders because the number one reason... Because the number one reason that people leave is because of their managers. You have a massive impact on the lives of the individuals who you manage. And that's a weighty thing that you have to be ready to take really seriously. Like it's a much bigger deal if there's a if there's a bug in your management than if there's a bug in your code. And so, you know, I, I think if you want to be a manager, then you should there should be like a sort of an ethical component to it. Like for you, you have to be excited about the challenge of having a really incredible impact on someone's life for the better and be willing to take it seriously understanding that the inverse is also true. You can have a big impact on people's lives for the worse.
2: Right. Yeah. Especially like thinking back to like time when you had a great manager versus the time when you had a manager who was distracted and not Uh, invested in your personal success like that that really makes a world of difference for uh you know your personal outlook and the energy you're bringing to the day
3: yeah i mean it can ruin a person's job and having a terrible job can ruin a person's life i mean it really sucks when you have a like a hostile terrible manager who's distracted and frustrated and doesn't care about you is actually focused on other things and conversely when you have a really good manager and you feel like your career is on track and everything is going right like, that has ripple effects throughout your whole life. It's deep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true, too. I,
1: I think I would just add um, one thing to that is I think what I try to do a lot of times is, like, try to find deeper meaning in things, you know, that that happen to you. So, as an example, there was a point in my life where I thought that I had, like, the worst manager And a lot of the things that you were saying like really hit me like they were hostile to you. You were using that kind of language. And for me, I was like, Oh my God, I remember those days. (laughs) (laughs) And at the time, you know, I was super unhappy about it. And I felt like it impacted the success of my work and all of that. You know, as I look back on that time, which were like several years, you know, after I actually now really value that manager that I had because I didn't realize it at the time, but now I've learned so much from that person. I, you know, that manager told me that, um, you know, I wasn't on a path to success in my job, and. I could not possibly see how that could be true because, you know, I I was just like sort of blind to it then. It is the reason why I left the company. And now I am so, as you said, you know, people don't quit companies, they quit managers. But now I'm so thankful to that person because that was not the right job for me. And, you know, I think that going on the like the topic of managers having a moral obligation or sort of an ethical obligation to to help people, I think, you know, helping people understand that this isn't the job for them or this isn't, you know, the project for them or no matter how bad they want it, I think that, you know, is an important thing. And that negative experience, what I perceived at the time is like such a valuable lesson for
2: me now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess it's like part of also just like seeing what success looks like versus seeing what failure looks like. Like if you never work a terrible job, then like it you lose some capacity to appreciate like when things are going right or seeing when things are trending badly. You make, wait, I've been here before. Let's let's turn the ship around.
3: How do you think that becoming a manager has affected your job prospects? Mm, good question. I think
2: it has raised a lot of
1: opportunities for me personally when I was looking um If you know for jobs after the Hillary campaign, um, I literally interviewed once and fell in love and just ended up there. I I luckily did not have to apply. I was just connected to this company. And so I've had a positive experience overall. I think that, you know, there's probably arguments to be made that there are fewer job postings for managers and more for like IC engineers, which is makes sense because that's just the structure of a team, right? It's sort of a pyramid. But, you know, I don't really have data on it. I'm sure there's like data out there. I mean, we were talking about the uh, Stack Overflow survey earlier, or maybe there are other surveys.
2: Yeah, some good charts there. <laughs> yeah.
1: I would like to believe, you know, it could be neutral or or beneficial overall, but you know, everybody has their own experience and, and mine's been positive overall.
2: Yeah. I think I think the one thing that we saw in that study was just like managers tend to have a higher median salary. So mm. if you got to get that paper.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a good like 10 or 15% more on average. Although I have heard at least anecdotally that the maximum salary that you can make is higher for an individual contributor than it is for a manager because you can get, you know, heavily specialized and become a really rare expert.
2: Right you can become the fortran guy
1: at oh, that fintech <laughs> <company>. <laughs> the fintech company
0: the cobol developer
1: or just become a security engineer uh. and then you can charge a lot yeah. right just
2: be that that yeah. one guy
1: <laughs> i do think that's true like i think the more specialized you go the higher like you know salary you can get but i think generally speaking at most of the established tech companies you know there's a path for ic and people manager and most of the you know progressions on that and the salary bands that I've seen are you know essentially the same for each role. The only thing you know ultimately that it means is that everybody has to report into somebody. And so even if you are like you know let's say a principal engineer or something like that, you're still going to report into maybe a VP or a CTO or something like that. And so you know you could argue ultimately you know that people manager has more responsibility <laughs> because you're managing the the top IC. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's interesting. I guess that that opens up another question, like should you even become a manager? Like you know there are opportunities in, in either case to excel, and you know sometimes it seems like inevitable, you know the guy who's been there the longest is going to be the manager, but is is that the right thing to do? No
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think if uh, if anybody's making decisions that way, they might end up with a bad decision. <laughs> which is fine, you know mistakes happen yeah, I mean, I think. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about like what are some like signs that like, you know, might be uh leading you in the direction of of being a manager. I think ultimately people shouldn't be afraid to jump into it if they have curiosity about it. You know, you can in my opinion always go back to being not a manager. Interestingly, when I was on the Hillary campaign, we ended up hiring um somebody who was a VP of engineering at their company for a while and just wanted to not manage anybody, didn't want to lead anything and just wanted to get back to writing code. And so he came to the Hillary campaign um, just as a regular old IC engineer and was like, I just want to write code. (laughs) And, you know, he had been out of it for a while. So he had a learning curve. But, you know, that's my example of like, it can always go both ways. Like, I just, I don't think that anybody has to get like typecast necessarily. Do you take a salary cut when you switch back? Oh, I think so. If you go from VP to like, IC, you know, engineer, especially for this job, one, because campaigns do not pay really. (laughs) I mean, they (laughs) pay, but like barely, um, it's not competitive at all. It's (laughs) in feelings, hopes and dreams. (laughs) You get paid for feeling good about your work. (laughs) And you know, uh, in this particular role that he jumped into, it's not like on campaigns, you have like principal engineer or, um, distinguished engineer, you know, like you would at Google. And so I'm sure that for this person, it was a, a pay drop, but you know, if you are some VP that is still really good at engineering and you move into like, you know, a distinguished engineer job, um, you know, maybe the pay is, is not a job.
2: Yeah. I guess it goes back to what we were saying before about specialization. Like he's kind of going from a very high specialization where he's the the VP of a very specific thing and then becoming just one of one of all the the men and women on the line writing code.
3: Yeah, I think that's probably what makes it anxiety producing is the fear of losing progress when you switch back, you know, because it's like, well, if I'd spent those two years being an individual contributor instead of trying my hand at management, then I would be two years further ahead on the individual contributor track. And now I'm taking a pay cut in order to go back to being where I was two years ago. But is it a race? (laughs) <laughs> I,
1: just, I just don't feel like it's necessarily a race I mean you know maybe I guess in the financial sense if you're just trying to mass as much compensation as you can over your lifespan but <laughs> yep that's the name of the game yep. <laughs> I, I guess that's the name of the game but to what detail are you like you know so affected by it yeah that's true I, I lately have been like so impressed and just the type of people that sort of like change their profession really leave a A sort of impact on me and this happens a lot in software where you have people in my experience a lot of like you know financial industry people who then go to a boot camp and then you know start writing software Mm -hmm. and good for them i'm glad they did it and a lot of them have found out that's really their true calling right so if you never try to be a manager how could you know if it's you know not your true calling You know, those people weren't afraid to go into financial services. We interviewed somebody at Casper Hood, a PhD in pharmaceuticals. (laughs) Oh, and, you know, is now writing code. Sure. And so, you know, if you look at it that way, it's like, well, that person went really far, you know, to right. to you pushing know pushing the boundary of human knowledge. knowledge yeah.
3: you know? <laughs> <But> <laughs> which one would you rather talk to at a cocktail party? <laughs> the guy who's been a software developer for twenty years and never tried anything different, or the pharmaceutical PhD who nah. now works at Casper? The latter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think that's something
2: that is especially interesting about like New York City tech too. I think there there's a lot of path into it, and that makes the people here very interesting. Like. It's not like just doing text for tech's sake, you know, people feel passionate about it. Like I, I, I have friends who have made the transition from, you know, being a chemist to being a computer programming, a lawyer, even like, you know, it's like, wait, you're, you're making the lawyer money. <laughs> yeah. why, why do you want to write JavaScript? <laughs> 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 <Great question. laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, there's, there's some precision and uh, it's a rewarding job. Yeah.
1: Lawyers an interesting transition. I feel like I haven't seen many lawyers that have transitioned over. Have
2: you? Just just that one guy. I'm sure he's great at naming things, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs>
1: Good for him because that's the hardest problem. Yeah.
3: So, if somebody wants a great manager, maybe a VP over at Casper, how would they get in touch with you? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: this is probably not a surprise. Casper is a growing company, and we're hiring. So, you know, if you're looking at either transitioning into management or you know switching management roles, um, we have. Uh, two roles that we just opened up on our website for management and you can get to that at uh, casper.com slash jobs. There's one that's in San Francisco um, for connected devices, which is a very cool thing that we're going to get into, which is, you know, essentially smart products that'll help you sleep better. I can tell you more one on one, but it's kind of secretive for now. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one, which in many ways is just as interesting and, and challenging. Is uh, an engineering manager for our fulfillment technology, um, which is once an order is placed, getting that package to your door. Which, as we know, Amazon has made a whole you know incredible business out of, um, and it's, it's really hard and challenging. Cool. Also, if you want to talk one on one, you know, hit me up on Twitter. I'm Kyle Rush. It's a very secretive name. You can't find me. At Kyle Rush. Uh, <laughs> at Kyle Rush. Uh, happy to chat on Twitter. Grab a coffee or anything.
2: Nice, and I guess if you're uh, a manager and you're looking to transition back to an, intribu- an individual contributor role, we
1: also have uh, yeah, we also <laughs> Tons have of IC roles on the website. We're hiring a lot. Cool, so, uh, yeah, check it out for sure. Nice.
0: Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit, so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now, however you listen to your favorite podcast.